to Moving Iron Podcast number 163. This week, my guest is Philip Shaw, and he is a farmer and an agricultural economist from Dresden, Ontario, Canada. And I had the pleasure of actually sharing a few tweets with him on some some issues we saw with autonomous tractors and, and kind of what the future there looks like. And anytime I get a chance to talk about something like that, I'm going to absolutely jump all over it because it's one of my favorite topics. So, Philip, welcome to my show, man. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it. It was nice to hook up, hook up on Twitter last week and talk about some of these things. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get too far down the uh, the road of autonomy here, why don't you give me a little background on yourself and, and what you do? I farm about 865 acres here in southwestern Ontario. Uh, I also do a lot of writing and speaking across the United States and Canada. So I write all. I write for DTN in Omaha, Nebraska, right on. on a weekly column across the United States and Canada. I also write uh, commodity commentary for the Grain Farmers of Ontario here in Ontario, and I, I write for several magazines here in Canada as well as I write in French and Quebec. And I used to I used to review farm equipment for Country Guide magazine. Oh, right probably on. Okay. Uh, so every every month I would review farm equipment, uh-huh. and it would be published in Country Guide magazine in Canada. And that's probably where my views about autonomous equipment came from. Gotcha. Uh, and that you and I were back and forth about. So that's just uh, that's just a little bit about me. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about what we see happening right now in in the markets as far as you, as in Canada goes. I know there's some issues back and forth with China. I know they've they've opened up some uh, um, some markets with you guys when it comes to hogs. And but there was a canola thing there for a while where they weren't weren't taking any of your canola. And so talk about the overall kind of what you see happening in the grain markets right now. Well, you know, uh, Casey, it's kind of a long story in the United States where you've had, uh, you know, American trade action to set right. off that uh, Chinese tariff on on uh, American soybeans going into China. Right. And we had that big reduction in uh, United States soybean exports into China and the corresponding uh, price decrease. Uh, we've also got uh, some real, real erosion of American corn demand, uh, where we're seeing falling exports and erosion of ethanol uh, demand in the United States. And and what you're referring to in Canada was uh, we honored an American extradition order for the Huawei uh, executive. Uh, right. Our American friends, we love them, but uh, we had to honor this uh, uh, American extradition request for uh, uh, the Huawei executive. And so we did that. And when we did that, the uh, Chinese uh, canceled all uh, purchases of, of canola seed from, from Canada, as well as hogs and as well as a few other things. Yep. Since, since then, they've re- reinstated the, uh, the pork part of that. And, of course, you guys are still working it out with your trade agreement. It's, uh, it's almost in the news every day that we're going to have a trade yep. agreement. With the United States and Canada, be be a lot better if we just got along. But <laughs> the exactly. uh, the uh, you know, and but the corresponding price decrease, uh, we price our commodities, especially in eastern Canada, off uh, eastern Corn Belt points, and so we've suffered the same type of decreases that they have in the United States. 
Right on. And, uh, so, I mean, we're hoping for good things, right? We're hoping for good things. We're having a hard time getting the crop off now here in Ontario yep. and throughout Quebec. We've had a lot of snow uh, and we've had a delay in the corn harvest, which is really pushing things back. And probably now you heard about this, about the shortage of propane. Yeah, covered uh, this morning. Yep. Propane up in the northern plains of the United States, but it's got even worse now in Ontario and Quebec because of a, uh, a strike of a Canadian National Railroad, and so we're unable to move a lot of this propane into parts of Ontario and Quebec. So harvest is actually ground to a halt now in those regions simply because uh, there's no fuel to dry some of this grain. So yep. you know, I mean, uh, Americans and Canadians, we get along very well, and. Uh, uh, but we have similar similar uh, type problems, and uh, so here we are. Right on. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, this harvest is just every aspect of this growing season, whether it's been planting or the actual growing season itself or the harvest, whatever it is, it has just not been very cohesive it's, it's to much. Especially difficult in the eastern Corn Belt. I had, uh, yeah. I had friends in Ohio that had just stunning crops in 2018, and this year they didn't get them planted. Yeah, yeah it's know, been crazy. Goodness. Prevent yeah. plant acres that went in there. So we had similar type weather to them, especially in southwestern Ontario. If you think about it, I'm on the same, I'm about 70 miles from Detroit, Michigan. Okay. Okay, so that gives you an idea where I am. Right. We had similar type weather, and uh, uh, but we managed to get a crop planted. You know, at the end of the day, uh, not much of one, but we got one planted. So there we go. Right, yep. Now I think that's a pretty conducive story from, from most of the... Uh, most of the growing areas in the United States, it seems like this year. All right, so let's jump in here and talk about the autonomous tractors and where we what we see happening there. So, um, why don't you give me your vision of the future when you start looking at autonomy? It's interesting. It's interesting, Casey, because you know, like I used to review farm equipment and and. I wondered about autonomous equipment that was coming down the pipe, and I knew the technology would be there to actually, you know, physically and maybe even tangibly make this all work. But what I used to worry about, and I still worry about it to a large extent, is I could never see how the autonomous uh, uh, part of the equipment uh, sector would get over the part about legal liability. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, Phil Shaw's a good guy, Casey's a good guy, but who do you sue when the tractor runs over each other, right? Like, uh, right. Yep. You know, it, 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 that was always a, a thing that, that I thought would, would be a problem with autonomous equipment that, that, you know, we could have a sensor that senses somebody or something is there and everything stops. But how about if it fails? And the legal liability regarding that always seemed to be quite high to me. It's interesting. I've had an opportunity to speak different places across Canada and the United States. And, and you know, I brought this up and I specifically brought it up to my insurance company. Uh, you might remember a year ago or a year and a half ago, Case International, that famous picture they had out of that kind of stylized autonomous case. Oh, yeah. here, and they yep. had hooked up to something. And I sent that to my insurance company and I said, you know, uh, would you insure this or how, how would this work? And of course, I, you know, I, I, I basically sent it to the insurance company and we really wasn't expecting too much of an answer, but I got an answer back and they said they took it right up to the reinsurance level. And then they called me back and they said, how many of you, how many of these are you planning to get? 
And <laughs> I said, well, maybe five or six, you know, it depends. And, and uh, they laughed. But the point being is they didn't have an answer for me. And, yeah. and, and, you know, maybe there's an answer now, but they didn't have an answer for me then. And then also, too, earlier than that, uh, I don't know if you ever saw, I just can't recall his name. He's in Manitoba, Canada. Uh, a friend of mine, a Twitter friend of mine, he, uh, he developed a, uh, a autonomous package for his tractor and grain cart. His name, I think his name was Matt Reimer. And I met Matt before he did that. But what he did was he wanted to get the grain cart to come up along his combine autonomously mm -hmm. this would be about five years ago and what he did was he knew he had to learn computer code he had to learn computer code to make this work because depending on case international or john deere or anybody else at that time to get this done it wasn't going to help him so what he did he went back and learned computer code and he actually coded uh used computer coding to to put into his uh, autonomous kits that he developed for his tractor and combine. And he's got a famous YouTube video. If you, you can go to YouTube and look at it, probably Matt from Manitoba Autonomous would do it. And you see him, he's combining wheat, and then he asks for the tractor, comes over to him, across the field, you can see it come in, and then it turns around and it drives right beside him. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think about it that the guy did it himself. And I said to him, well, I called him up, and I said, uh, Matt, I said, uh, what did your insurance company think of that? And Matt said to me, well, he said, Phil, he said, uh, I really haven't told him yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, I, I thought there might have been a good reason that he didn't tell them. The point being right. is, is that what would have happened if that tractor and grain cart that came across the field all by itself had kept going and ran into the ditch, right? Right. Out. So I, I don't know the answer to this question, Casey. Everything that I have, I've questioned people about it. They've always told me that, wow, we think that this equipment will be safer than having an actual driver in it. I don't know if you've heard that either. Yeah, I've heard a lot of that, you know, whether it's the autonomous vehicle, like car side of the of the. It, the conversation or whether it's the the uh, the tractor and equipment side of the conversation i've heard so many different ways uh, of making that making that argument the one i've heard is especially when it comes to like like tesla for example they they have a quasi autonomous vehicle now you can buy with uh, what they call it autopilot i think it's what they call it on their on the tesla um it, it it can it can sense where things are around it and whatever but people have died in teslas um yeah. and tesla cars have ran over people you know that's and that's uh you know some ongoing lawsuits there so that's probably going to pay the a new path and in, into what what's happening there but i have i have read those articles especially when it comes to oh who is it tesla tesla also is doing the uh the over the road truck that's supposed to be autonomous and walmart is supposed to be one of those that's going to test that out and, and what does that look like? Um, I guess to me, when I look at it from a liability perspective, I always have taken the the same approach that you would would take with anything else that that failed on a on piece of equipment today that's uh, non autonomous and and the lawsuits that come with that. So and I, and I would I would I would venture to say if 
a sensor fails and it's within the the quote unquote life of the of the machine and that sensor fails and it and it goes and runs something over i gotta think that's on the manufacturer but you know at what point like i can't can't get an answer for that yeah you you might be right but i think and i'm I'm, but i'm completely speculating on that so that's just that's just casey seymour's law degree there talking which i don't have one so (laughs) it's interesting i don't know if on twitter if you follow i don't know if on twitter if you follow chad colby yeah yeah well chad and i go back a long ways uh years ago i wrote an article about uh his uh Farm 560. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it. But long story short, he told me he was out in California and he was in one of those Tesla cars that's that's automatic pilot or whatever or whatever you called it. He was going 60 miles an hour down the road and the thing turned off in an exit like it was supposed to. But he said it scared the heck out of him. Right? Yeah. Uh, because he was used to driving five miles an hour or four miles an hour in a tractor on auto steer in the middle of some field in Illinois, just like I am in Ontario. And that doesn't scare us at all. Right. 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 But six, 60 or 70 mile an hour down freeway <laughs> in, in an autonomous car. Yeah. That's that, you know, there, there's some human reaction, uh, emotional mm-hmm. issues that we have to deal with. I also think, you know, just like auto track <clears throat> when it was first introduced, Back in whatever it was, 1998 or whatever it was, when they first came out with with AutoTrack, um, that was I, all I heard about that from the time that I can remember hearing about it for the first five or six years. It was, oh, that's just a toy, and that's a fad. No one, I mean, that's not going to mean anything. And I'm always going to drive my tractor and da 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 da. And now, I mean, I know guys that'll that'll run a tractor where the every buzzer in the thing's going off because it's got some fundamental issue that's going to go bad but let the let let it lose an a b line they're going to stop immediately and, and call someone <laughs> to come fix that you know so i mean it's, i think it's i think it's one of those things where you're going to have a uh, a generational gap i can imagine i'll be the same way i mean if i was i i play with that kind of stuff i don't trust it even a little bit so put my son in that same vehicle though and he he's 13, and tell him that you can flip the switch, and he's gonna be able to r- drive his Tesla around by itself. Um, I, I can almost guarantee that he'll trust it without any. Yeah, yeah, any, it might be a generational. It's a thing. generational thing. So you, you might be right, uh, but I call auto steer the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, agreed. Yeah. You know, for instance, myself, I'm 60 years old. I mean, I used to be a young fellow, but I mean, time marches on. <laughs> Uh, years ago, years ago, when I was doing uh, machinery reviews for Country Guide magazine, uh-huh. they asked me to contact a dealer to install a Trimble light bar uh-huh. on a tractor and that I to test it and to give my reviews on it. Okay, this is a simple Trimble light bar, an easy steer light bar. I don't know what yep. it's called then. Yeah, easy steer. My yeah. gosh, I installed it and I started using it and I thought, my gosh, what, what the heck? You know, what's the world coming to, right? It was amazing. You could go through the night, and you didn't really need to see. Right. And I remember taking a picture, and I could probably send you the picture, but it was 1030 at night, and it was getting so dark, you couldn't see anything, right? And I mean, we're going back 15, 20 years. But because of the Trimble light bar, I knew that I could go on a straight line, right? So right. it was spread in the dark. And to me, it was just like my grandfather going from horses to tractors. Right. Right. Yep. I went home. I used to go go home at night at ten o'clock. And my wife said, "Well, now you got the technology. Just keep on working. I just need to get you 
night vision goggles or something, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. All my equipment now, like I have I have John Deere RTK on my John Deere tractor. Right. Um, but I also have a Trimble Easy Sear system that I put from an older tractor that was manufactured in 1978 mm-hmm. and an older combine that was a 1998 combine. Yep. I think Auto Steer is the eighth one of the world. But of course, you and I have seen those pictures yep. of combines in the ditch where the guy fell asleep, right? Yep. Oh, so, yeah. uh, you know, uh, my late father, who's been passed away for quite some time now, he was just at the start of that with light bars, but... He always told me that he didn't know if he could do that because he would fall asleep in uh, in that equipment. Yep. Uh, however, that's a different issue, and maybe we're getting off topic. But, I mean, it all with autonomous equipment, you know, basically you're supposed to be able to sit there in a lawn chair at the edges of the field and watch, right? Right. And, and then there's the other aspect of it, and you probably heard this as well, that autonomous equipment will simply be a lot smaller. Yep. Right? A lot smaller and because it can work 24 hours a day, right? And, yep. and, you know, maybe even cheaper, like in Agritechnica, the big uh, German uh, iron show. Have you been over to that one in November? No, I was going to go this year, but I had some stuff come up and I couldn't make it. Well, I've never been either, but I'd like to go. But, the, the, you know, they talk about the, uh, uh, they had concept tractors there this year that didn't have an engine. Right. It was electric, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, it's autonomous. <laughs> yeah. So you know, are these things? You, you and I are talking about these things, like what we've seen. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about your son being younger than you and a generational things. How he has more confidence in it. Who's to say in another ten to fifteen years, which is you know, oh, you know, ten to fifteen years is a long time in agriculture. There can be great change in that. Yep. Who's to say that, you know, if we're still alive in 10, 15 years and we come back and do this podcast again, then we'll say, do you remember those back in uh, 2019? How crazy we couldn't even imagine this, right? Yep. You yep. know, so, so, but it is hard to say the liability issue is, is something that I keep wondering about because I've always thought that the insurance companies would see it as a profit-making opportunity. Yeah. Right. You increase prices because, you know, you're not really going to stop technology, but they have the ability to cash in. on. Right? Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. That's a good yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I can but, see something know, like nobody that. Really, nobody will really give me an answer yet. And if you get an answer, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear about it. You know, in, in yeah. the United States, you tend to have more of a I don't know if I can say this right. A litigious. Lit, oh, yeah. Litigious I know what you society mean. than maybe yeah. we do in Canada, but uh, litigious. Yeah. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. No, I think there's. Uh, you know, I think to your point, I think there's going to be. Uh, you're already starting to see some companies that are getting to be more mainstream. There's been there's been a lot of of a Silicon Valley you know startup money, venture capitalist money pouring into this whole autonomous thing, and you're starting to see more and more. Um, uh, these machines pop up, like for example, uh, SmartAg. I don't know if you're familiar with them or if you've heard of them or not, but they they build the exact same thing you were just talking about with your friend that uh, Max. Uh, he was, you know, he's got the the grain cart tractor runs by itself, and you hit the button and it calls it up and it goes and do what it wants to, and then he, it knows where the grain cart or the grain trailer is, and it goes to that, and whoever drives the grain truck can jump out and fill up the fill up the grain trailer and get out of the grain cart and goes back to work. So it's uh. They got the same thing. Then, um, are you familiar with Dot Industries um, up up there in Canada? Um, same deal. They've kind of got the integrated solution that, that integrates into whatever tool it is, and 
and we're seeing there. I, I still, I will still say, you know, I've, I've tested the, the smart ad thing one time where you can set the sensitivity out so far that when it, it's supposed to be able to recognize human beings and standing corn and all this different kind of stuff. And you, if you, I was out far enough away that if it was coming at me, I could jump out, but I, I jump out of the way, but it would come up to you and it would see you and it would start slowing down and then it would completely stop. And depending on how far out you had the sensitivity set, it would do that. Now, if that quit working, I would have been a, a dumb test dummy for sure, and, and I would have been a grease spot out in the field someplace. But um, yeah, that it, would be a problem. That yeah, problem. that's that's a big deal, and you kind of have to wonder what that what that looks like and where that's going to go. Because I, I do subscribe to the, and I don't think it'll be until we run into a twenty four seven like battery operated something that can recharge itself somehow whether it's got solar panels on or whatever but once that happens i do believe that that farm equipment will become smaller and there'll be more of them in the field and then from a liability sake i mean this is going to be even a bigger issue um especially with with that 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 you've got to think they have that answer because this this autonomous car thing is getting um closer and closer i mean Let's use a Tesla example. I mean, if you have your car in autopilot and it veers off the road, either runs a car off the road or hits a car or runs somebody over to crosswalk or runs you off into the ditch someplace, whatever. I mean, the insurance company has got to have some level of interest and not so much you as they would have in Tesla. Yeah. Well, keep in mind that, you know, a lot of this is, especially in agriculture, it's it's been driven driven by need to absolutely yeah like you take for instance uh i farm all by myself you know and (laughs) you know it'd be nice to have a a bunch of autonomous uh, farm hands that i could use in other words labor is a problem on many farms uh because if somebody's not around you can't do something right yeah and so as farm gets larger and especially on in the northern plains and in western canada and other places where there's not a lot of people uh, you know, there there is an incentive for some of this equipment to to take over, and and so it's 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 difficult to fathom uh, to some extent. But you know, uh, I, I remember when I was still reviewing farm equipment uh, at that time, and and you said SmartAg that company, and I, I am familiar with them to some extent, but I. I, like I don't do that anymore, so I don't keep up as as on it as much as I used to. I deal more with the grain markets, uh, but I remember at the time, uh, like if you had a brand new, um, I shouldn't say brand new tractor, but let's say you had a tractor in the last, you bought bought it in the last five years. At that time, they were they were talking about selling autonomous tractor kits right. that you could put on to make these tractors autonomous. Yep. And I, I do not know. Maybe you know more about how close that is to, to present day. Uh, I don't know, but I remember reading about that at the time and maybe publishing mm-hmm. some articles. Yeah. I think it's, it's very close. I mean, every manufacturers, whether it's Trimble or John Deere's or, um, whoever's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're all, they're all autonomous anyway. They just have to, you know, flip a switch someplace inside that and it would be hundred percent autonomous. Um, I have read about those kits that you that you're talking about. Um, I have a. I, I personally think that those those things are uh, three years away from really being a, a hard and fast um, 
kind of approach. And it kind of goes back to 100% to what you're talking about with, with farm labor. I mean, it's just there's just a lack of it, and there's not enough people to do it. And that not even just that part of it, but the whole robotic side of going in and you know, what that looks like. Hopefully over next week sometime I'll be able to have, sit down with a, a gentleman um, out of Kansas that, that built a robot that picks weeds. And he's got a test plot of like 25 acres or something like that and, and uh, grows soybeans. And, and it, it instead of having to spray Roundup and those kind of things, um, he has these, these robots that go out and recognize what weeds are and they just pull out the weeds. So I don't know. I think... I think those autonomous uh, add-on kits are, are something that's going to be here real close, and I think that uh, you know it, it's going to it's going to ramp up faster than you or I will ever will ever recognize um, the speed of it. And I think these insurance companies have already kind of got their kind of ducks in a row to some extent. I just don't think they're they're showing their cards all the way up. Well, you might be right about that. There's, I would imagine that they, they would see some type of economic uh, opportunity in that. Yeah. And, of course, we have to recognize, too, that, you know, we're talking about American and Canadian uh, type reality. There's a different reality around the world. There's a different reality in Brazil. There's a different reality in Argentina. There's certainly a different reality in China and South Asia and Europe. And these innovations are going to come from those places as well. It's interesting, just a couple of years ago, I was in Bangladesh, and I go to Bangladesh quite often. Uh, I've been there about uh, six times over the last 25 years. But this last time I was there, there was all kinds of new types of tractors I was looking at. And what were they? They were Chinese tractors, right? Yep. Well, that's something you and I really aren't used to, right? Right, yep. And, and of course, the liability laws there would be a little bit different. Right, right. exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. so the innovation, the innovation in autonomous uh, uh, could come from many, many uh, different places. Uh, but, of course, you know, the limitations are uh, liability insurance, uh, that might be a limitation. There's always an economic limitation because, you know, the farm economy is not doing very well now. Uh, you know, I talk a lot about the price of corn. Well, a few years ago when the price of corn was 7 and $8, Yeah. everybody loved growing corn. Didn't oh, yeah. Couldn't in, get enough of it. Yeah. In Brazil, Argentina, the United States, or Canada, or Europe, everybody loved buying it. And in terms of the amount of disposable income on farms you had to purchase these uh, these innovations, it was... It was more unlimited than it is now, where it's it's much more difficult. I know in the United States you have uh, market facilitation payments. Yep. I tend to think they're an annuity that'll go on over a period of time, but they may not. And and uh, so that could be a limitation of these innovations as well, because a, with a healthy farm economy, it's always better for this type of uh, innovation that will be purchased and refined and, and and go from there. But but as it is now, it would probably only be slowed until we had a turnaround in the farm economy. And then there's other limitations as well, but it's it's uh, gets into the, the technical arena and I wouldn't have as much I wouldn't have as much uh, uh, no I wouldn't know as much about that. You know, take for instance internet access. We're having a, you know you know I, I noticed the internet's a little shaky here today. So you know so technology varies wherever you are. Oh yeah. <clears throat> That's for sure. That is for sure. So let's let's do this part. So we got about we got about five years down the road here. Um, what what's your thoughts and what are your opinions about what 
what farming will look like in five years? Well, it, it's hard for me to to make a global statement about that, but let me try to. Uh, in Ontario and Quebec and even parts of the U.S. Eastern Corn Belt where land prices are high, that tends to be more of a impediment for farms to get bigger. They do get bigger, uh, but not compared to North Dakota, South Dakota, Saskatchewan, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, places like that where there's there's more wide open spaces and, and maybe the limitation to productivity and the limitation to innovation are directly related to how hard you can work versus in more of the eastern eastern parts of the Corn Belt where uh, capital is more the limitations because things are more expensive. Uh, corn and soybean land, I don't know what they're trading for in Illinois now. Some of the best stuff would be very expensive, and I would see that as more of a limitation uh, uh, to huge expansion. Farms will always get bigger, uh, but maybe not quite as big in the eastern Corn Belt versus the western Corn Belt. Having said that, uh, uh, but they're going to get bigger anyway. We know that. Uh, and possibly the autonomous part of, the, part of it, uh, if they get that liability thing solved, will be a big part of that. Um, you know, we have issues uh, in the United States and Canada with lower corn demand. We have issues with increased global competition for grain. And we have issues with international markets. So, you know, one thing we don't want to talk about, the first in interest rates I ever paid were over 20% back in the early 80s. You know, farming was quite different then. You know, with lower corn demand now and increased global competition, you have the potential for much lower prices. And I hate to put water on the party, uh, but that would mean a contraction, right? That mm -hmm. could mean a contraction in the overall agricultural sector, which we saw in the 1980s. And I know that's ancient history for many people. I actually lived through it and farmed through it. And I'm not necessarily saying it's going to come again because we have such low interest rates, but uh, you know, the way the grain market is now uh, with uh, with uh, Brazil expanding so much, partly because of geopolitical concerns, uh, this is something that might limit the expansion to bigger farms uh, in five years. And, of course, over that five years you're talking about, you're going to have increased productivity. Oh, so yes. I don't know what corn, corn yields are. Well, let's take Illinois, for example. I think it, the average corn yield maybe not last year, but the year before it was 203 bushels, the average corn yield, mm -hmm. the average state corn yield. <laughs> yeah. Well, who's to, say, who's to say in five years that won't be 280, right? True. Or 270. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it's kind of that agricultural productivity vicious cycle. You know, I have to be more productive. I have to be more efficient to survive because prices aren't buoyant, as buoyant. So I keep producing and using autonomous equipment and auto steer and all kinds of new technology to get more efficient. And the more efficient I get, the more I dump onto the marketplace, which lowers prices. And, and you know, so you got to get more efficient. You got to produce right. more because you're not getting as much. Yeah. That will continue. That will continue. And, of course, every different sector is different, whether it's grain, whether it's uh, cattle, whether it's hogs, whether it's dairy. We have two different dairy systems in Canada the United States. Uh, you know, labor-intensive crops like almonds in California versus wheat in Montana. <laughs> right. Yep. You know, there's just mm -hmm. a whole bit of different variables that are that are going on. One thing we do know is that 
is that uh, we'll still have unusual weather. Absolutely. Uh, but maybe yeah. we'll have better technology to watch the weather and maybe we'll understand it more. And maybe as individual producers, uh, uh, we'll have more accurate weather forecasts over the next five years. I don't know. Yep. I would agree with a lot of what you said. Um, my, my opinion in five years, there's going to be more of uh, more, more contracts direct contracts with farmers from um, end-user type facilities like Kellogg's or whomever that might be and that'll give you give more um, more profitability to the farmer I think that the transparency issue is what's going to be the big driver there um, they're going to want to be able to tell the story of from the from the dirt to the shelf and what that look and what happened in between and giving up that that tech that uh, that information and then taking uh, the farmer and, and having the, the 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 buyer tell them how how to work the the crop on their farm that's going to be a big difference i think in in the way um the way i guess the farmer perceives um perception is now where they just take it to open market and sell it what happens um if they want to make some money and, and increase their margins i think that's where it's going to come from and like you said, the efficiency of equipment and the efficiencies of your overall operation are going to play a big part of that. And I think that's going to be a, uh, a big part of agriculture over the next five years. It's interesting. It's controversial with regard to farm data, who owns it and who does not own right. it. Right. Yep. We maintain the farmer should be paid for it. I do, too. There's a lot of, yep. there's a lot of uh, people that uh, uh, think it's theirs. But, I mean, you're right with regard to... Uh, end users would like that information. I think possibly uh, it might be more attuned to that now with regard to the meat industry, whether the pork and hogs and chicken and different things like that. Is that uh, we'll take chickens for example is a good example in the United States with the, the big chicken companies that have such vertical integration now. You know where the chicken comes from, what it's fed, and where it goes. And so you may be very right about that as we as we go ahead. Uh, that aspect of you know at a certain point. We'd like prices to increase, and there's global food demand, which is increasing. But uh, of course, we need uh, we need uh, uh, big players mm -hmm. such in Asia to buy North American agricultural commodities again. That'd certainly be helpful over the next five years, because we've lost a lot of demand, you know, in the last year and a half. And it's oh, yeah. no problem. Yeah. No, and I think that's gonna that's gonna come back around. I think you maybe not be uh, the Asian market that we see or explode over the uh, of the growth that we see happening in that, but I definitely could see something in um, in Africa and some stuff in um, you know other like southern parts of Asia and India, Pakistan, those kind of areas like that. I think there could be some more opportunities for uh, North American crops in those areas as well, but. What do I know? So that could be, well, you know. It's interesting because East Asia or China is the big one that has the money. Right, right? exactly. The money to do it. So we've been living living the good life selling soybeans to them for a long time. I visit Bangladesh all the time, which is surrounded by India, and they have huge markets over there that they satisfy domestically. You're right about Africa. I've always said, though, that would be in 2050 or 2040. Yep. problem with Africa now is there's huge potential for production. There. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about it, for instance, our Brazilian friends have people in Mozambique mm -hmm. where they speak the same language, Portuguese, right. that are developing cropping systems there. And But you're right. But it, but the, one of the issues there is the uh, low G GDP levels. But as their incomes rise someday, they will demand mm -hmm. uh, more grain and more, more meat in their diet, more food, 
there'll be more food in demand, and that will be changing as well. But hopefully, we'll get that all figured out by the time that happens. Yep, I hope so. It all comes down to infrastructure as well. You know, you look at. Um, as pop- those populations grow, they can grow all the food they want to, but if they can't get it to a port or to wherever, it, it just it makes it even harder for them to be successful in in the production of of, of food in their own areas, even to feed their own people. So uh, there could be, like you said, as as they grow that and 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 kind of blossom into into first world countries or developing further down the road of developing nations, um, that that will be a, a bigger deal. Yeah. Yeah, Brazil's a good example of that, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, oh, my goodness, yep. you know. When I started mm-hmm. farming, which was, you know, I'm 60 now, when I was back in my 20s, that was just a kind of a curiosity. Yep. But, of course, now they're shipping corn from northern ports in Brazil to Mexico, which traditionally is the number one mark, uh, buyer of U.S. corn. Right. So, I mean, you know, development happens, and these things happen, and everybody finds a way. Yep, absolutely. And we just absolutely. have to adjust, right? Yeah, we have to adjust either grow yeah. less corn, change our cropping practices, whatever it is. I mean, there's there's got to be – there's there's, yeah. there's opportunity everywhere. You just got to find it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, Philip, I appreciate you being on the podcast. If uh, Where could people find you at? What What's the easiest way to find, uh, find Philip out there? Probably on Twitter. That's where you found me. It's at Agridome, at Agridome. Or you can go to www.philipshaw.ca. But at Agridome on Twitter, where you found me, is probably the best place. Because that's right how on. we ended up here. That's how we ended up doing this right here. So, yeah, absolutely. Or you absolutely. can Google my name. You Google my name in agriculture or Google my name in grain or corn prices, and you'll find all kinds of stuff. Right on. And well, this is Casey Seaman with the Moving Iron Podcast. You can find my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and the Global Ag Network, and about anywhere else that you can find a uh, find a podcast. Also, hit me up on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram if you want to further this conversation at all, or send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. So for Casey Seymour and Philip Shaw, let's go move some iron. Out. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher